Hi, this is Robert Furrow, and welcome to TruthQuest Podcast. This is our Q&A, where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe, the Scripture being the only authority in our lives, being inspired by God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped, lacking in nothing. Spiritually speaking, there's nothing that I need except that which is revealed in God's Word. So we want to study His Word together to find out exactly what it means. Our podcast consists of full-length teachings. There's two of those a week of hot topics, such as shorter 15, 10, 15 minute uh, teaching on a hot topic, and then our Q&As. So it's good to see you guys. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you're blessed. Uh, we have people joining us from YouTube and Facebook. Uh, it's good to see you. Daniel, thank you for joining us. Good to see you as well. Carl, John, Jari, I appreciate you guys popping on for our TruthQuest Q&A. We have our first question that is already up that comes to us from a former Q&A. And this question is, what is predestination and is it biblical? So predestination is God planning our future. Our destinies have been pre-planned by God. And there are those that believe that God's predestination takes away any of our free will. That, that God determines everything that will be done, everything that's going to be done, and this is a problem. This is an extreme position that God has predestined your life so that God has chosen that I would take a drink of my coffee right now. On the other extreme of that position, and it's funny, there are always extremes. On the other extremes, there are those who do not believe that God knows the future. That he, And then there are those who believe that God doesn't use his future to predestine people's lives. But Romans 8, 29 says it clearly, whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And if you're in Reformed theology and you don't believe uh, that you believe that predestination by God means that you don't have any free will, you're made exactly the way you are, you have no choice, uh, your choices won't change the outcome of your future, then you got to do something with that verse. And so they will claim that the word foreknowledge there doesn't mean foreknowledge, that it means something else. And depending on the teacher, they come up with whatever their ideas may be predetermined, which would be like predestination. Whom God predetermined, he also foreknew. But whom God foreknew, he predestined. Meaning that God knew from before the foundations of the world that Robert Furrow would give his life to Christ. That at 13 years old, I would surrender to him, start living for him, and, and he predestined my life based upon that. There were certain things that he planned and he purposed. There's another way that predestination works as well, and that is found in Ephesians chapter 1, which talks about God predestining us before the foundations of the world for being part of the church and the work that God's called us to do. So God predestined a church. He knew he was going to have a church. He knew he was going to have people in it. Uh, he gave us a choice as to what we would believe. I believe in provisionism. That is that God provides a way and that we have a right to accept it or reject it. God desires that all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. And if that's God's desire, 
if predestination were true, everybody would be saved. But because everybody's not, we know that God's giving people a chance, but he truly does love people. And if you're watching this and you don't know the Lord, he loves you as well. So there is a sense in which predestination is very biblical, that God knows the choices that I will make and that God works in my life based on that. And, and I can uh, work on an outcome for my life. If I sow to the flesh, from the flesh I will reap corruption, but if I sow to the spirit, from the spirit I will reap life. That's one of the choices that God's given me. So choose life and live. Live wholeheartedly for God, pouring out everything that you have before him. And uh, that is extremely biblical. The idea that we are all predetermined, um, determinism, which is interesting. There are some atheists who believe in, in determinism as well. They just believe that things are going to happen. Certain things are going to come to pass no matter what. And that's exactly what a lot of people believe uh, who believe in predestination. Uh, God's, God is fully and completely sovereign. But when it comes to predestination, there is nuance. God predestines some things and leaves other things up for choice. And if God has given me some free will, that doesn't make him less sovereign. My God is so sovereign that he can give man a free choice. He can give me choices to make. Now, sooner or later, I'm going to run into the sovereignty of God, and there are going to be predestined things that I can't change. For example, the Bible says it's appointed once for men to die, and then come uh, the gospel. I can't, I can't change that appointment. God's predetermined that. That's his sovereignty, I believe. There are other things that I ran into the sovereignty of God. I believe I came to Tucson because God predestined me. He put me in times. He set me, um, he set me within borders so that I would find him and grope for him in Albuquerque. And then God had planned on me being here in Tucson for the last 37 years. So God knows your life. He knows the decisions that you would make. And, and, and I encourage you, live, walk by the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Abide in Christ and let his word abide in you. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. The things you ask for, God's going to give you. Because if you delight in God and abide in him and in his word, then you're going to be a different person. And God knows whether or not you would make those decisions. So may God strengthen us that we can walk according to his will. And what I think about those who, who just don't have any nuance in predestination at all. Predestination is God determining everything that's going to happen, which by the way, then they put sin in God's camp as well. Because if he predetermined that everything would happen, he predetermined that murder. There are those who believe that God predetermined someone to murder someone else. I don't believe that that is ever the case because then they would make God a part with sin. So I don't think that can be true. And uh, this is an ongoing, uh, there's an ongoing argument um, with Reformed theology. Reformed theology believes that there is irresistible grace, that God has chosen out of all people in the world, some to be saved and some to be lost without using his, his, his foreknowledge. Why he would set his foreknowledge aside, I don't know, but that's what they believe. And that God creates some as vessels of, of dishonor, cannot be saved, never could be saved, chosen for, for you know, fire, for fodder for the fire for, before the foundations of the world, and some chosen for life before the foundations of the world. But the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches, choose you this day whom you will serve, and that whoever calls on the name of the Lord could be saved. So everyone could be saved.
And that what God predetermined is that there would be those who didn't believe, that those who don't believe would be vessels of dishonor. And those who do believe would be vessels of honor. That's out of Romans 9. Romans 10 gives us how we are saved. We're saved by calling on the name of the Lord. And, and God knew Romans 10 was going to follow Romans 9. It wasn't just like, oops, I made a mistake there. So who are you to speak against God? If God wants to allow people who believe in him to be saved, he wants people humbling themselves before him, calling out on the name of the Lord, those people to be saved, who are you uh, to tell God otherwise? All right, so thank you very much for the question. As I said, that was from a previous Q&A, and I'm going to go ahead and take your questions now. Uh, we could talk about predestination for a long time, but predestination helps me to know that because God truly does love me, has called me, and has predestined my life, that the things that happen to me now are according to his will. And I can make some decisions that can bring some bad things about in my life, but I can never change those things that God has predestined for me to be able to walk into. All right. So we have a question here from Jari. Jari, good to see you. Jari says, um, if plain sense makes sense, why did God tell people to do great acts of faith that didn't make sense in scripture? In the na uh, natural Abraham sacrifice example and um and some in the charismatic circle. All right, so Jari, I don't know about those in the charismatic circle. Remember, um, we in Calvary Chapel believe in the gifts of the Spirit that they're for today. We don't believe that God ever did away with them. And so um, is God ever telling us to do something? I mean, let me ask you a question. In the plain sense makes sense. Why did God tell people in the um, great acts of faith that didn't make sense in scripture. Um, I'm not so sure, Jari, that, that, I mean, Abraham had to step, he had to walk by faith for sure and take his son whom he loved, who was not his only son because he had Ishmael, but it was his only son through Sarah. And it was a type of Jesus that was going to be taken up on Mount Moriah to die. And God knew what he was doing all along. And Abraham believed God's word because God said through Isaac, all the nations will be blessed. And so he knew God told him to sacrifice his son. But if God was going to sacrifice his son, if he was going to sacrifice his son and God was going to bless all nations through Isaac, then he knew that God had to raise him from the dead. That's what he determined in his mind. Hebrews tells us that. So it wasn't that Abraham didn't, that didn't make sense to him. He had it make sense in his mind. He thought I'm, he trusted in God so much that he believed I'm going to be obedient because God's told me to do this, but God will be true to his word. He's going to raise up Isaac from the dead. That's what he believed. That's what Hebrews tells us. If, if, if God is telling me as a charismatic, and I would say that I am, okay, because I believe in the gifts of the spirit for today to do something that doesn't make any sense. What, what kind of thing would that be? Um, would God just kind of move me in my heart, speak to me to go walking down the street? Maybe. I, I think it's dangerous when we get overly spiritual and when we act like, yes, I, I know the Lord so well. I hear his voice so clearly that I know when God told me to speak to someone or not to speak to someone. I mean, that may happen, but it happens randomly and our pride gets involved. And there's something about our pride that makes us want to think that people are more spiritual than we are. But if God ever asked us to do something by faith that we didn't understand, 
it's because it's by faith. We're trusting him. We're believing him. If it was by sight, if we clearly understood it, it wouldn't have to be by faith. Jari. But if it's by faith, then that means there's certain aspects of it that I don't really understand. I would just be really careful. The part of your question that concerns me is um, uh, uh, Abraham's example and some in the charismatic circle. Circle. So that concerns me that they might be going out and doing things that don't make sense when you and I have the word of God that gives us our direction and that God has spoken to us through Jesus Christ and given us the entirety of the word of God. Um, I've just seen so many abuses of people in the name of the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Uh, I've had people swear they know that God told them they were going to marry a girl who married someone else, and they believed it all the way down to the, the end. They, but they believed it even, they believed it until they said, I do. And, and maybe even then thought something was going to happen and they were going to become his wife. So uh, we've got to be careful that we don't start attributing things to God. God told me. I, I like to say something like this. If I feel like God's laid something on my heart to tell someone, I like to say, I believe God told me. Because the Bible says with prophecy, don't despise it, but one speaks and the rest judge. So we're to judge it. And so when someone says, God told me, I'm always like, or you think, because that's a little bit of humbleness. It's a little humility. I think God spoke to me. Or, or when I say that God spoke to me in the quiet of my heart, there are a few times that I know that God spoke to me, but he's not going to tell me to do something that is unbiblical. The example of Abraham is an extreme example of a type of Jesus. Isaac, through Isaac, the Messiah is going to come. So he wants to show the very hill that he's going to die on and that God is going to provide himself as a ram for the living sacrifice. All right. So um, I, I can tell you that's why he told him to something that didn't make sense. But hey, if we're going to take a step of faith, it doesn't always make sense. We step out in faith and, and do it and we trust in God. And um, I'm trying to think of some things that we would do that wouldn't make worldly sense. I mean, we live this all the time. For example, um, Jesus said, he who's first will be last and the last will be first. We're supposed to put other people's interest above our own interest, which means that by faith, I take the last seat. We're not supposed to do anything by selfish ambition. There's a lot done by selfish ambition today that people would call faith, but it's not faith because it's selfish ambition. That would not be faith. So we trust that God's going to be the one to be exalted and to lift us up. And that's by faith. It might not make sense to the world, but it makes sense to us because we are living by faith. So sorry, Jari, if I added too much to your question, maybe you didn't have all of that in there when you were talking about some examples in the charismatic um, circle. If you want to clarify that a little bit more, um, I'll look for your questions here in the future and we can talk about them again. But it is good to see you. And um, God asks us to do all kinds of things that are by faith. We, a lot of, we, we stop living for ourselves and we begin to live for God. That doesn't make any sense at all when it comes to the world. The world would tell you the opposite. You live for yourself. You commit yourself wholeheartedly for yourself. So uh, we have another question here 
from Nick Weiss. Nick, it's really good to see you. Uh, Nick is a good friend of mine, lives in Austin, Texas. Um, went up there to do the work of the gospel. And um, hey, I saw a picture of your little boy today. Uh, Nick, I'm, I'm blessed that uh, God has stepped in and um, that he's healthy and strong and we will continue to pray for him. All right, so it's uh, good to see you, Nick, as always. Um, what do you think Paul means in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 when he says, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit? And what does that, when does that sealing take place? All right, let's go ahead and uh, take a look at, I'm gonna pull up, um, my Bible here on my phone. I want to go ahead and take a look at that passage. Let me pull it up. It's Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. So um, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. All right, so here we go. I'm going to go ahead and put this up on the screen for you. Uh, scriptures, iPhone. All right, good. So it says here, in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. So I love that lays out how salvation works. We trusted in him after we heard the truth, the gospel of our salvation. At, at another point, we'll talk a little bit more about what the gospel is. In whom also having believed. So you heard the gospel and you believed. It reminds me of Romans chapter 10, where it says, how are they going to believe unless there's one who preaches? And how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the good news that we believe, we heard it, we responded, we believed in it. Without it, no one's going to be saved. Uh, the gospel, Paul said in Romans, I think it's 118, is the power of God to salvation. And um, it's, then it says, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of of his glory. So let's try to break this down in context. Remember that Peter said that there were those that twist Paul's words, talk, calling them scripture. He calls Paul's words scripture. Peter says this because they're hard to understand. And Paul does write in ways that you really got to break it down and slow down because it is hard to understand. Okay, so um, we hear the gospel, we believe in it. Um, who is the guarantee? of our salvation. Let's see if I can go back up here to um, trust in the wisdom of God. So you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So when you become a believer, and Nick, I know you know this, that the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. The moment that you are born again, the moment you say, Lord, I want you in my life, you give him that invitation. John 1, 12, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God. And so you receive the Holy Spirit. We also know that not only is your body as a Christian the temple of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus and the Father, Jesus said, come and move inside of you as well. That may be through the Holy Spirit being one, but we have Christ in us and God the Father is, is in us as well. But the Holy Spirit, which empowers us, <clears throat> which directs us, which leads us, which um, does a work, is his guarantee. And this is one of the reasons um, that we believe that God seals believers and he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. 
and that those who make a genuine commitment to Christ, he's going to go and get and bring them back. I believe that if you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Now, I could be wrong here, but I don't know that I am. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit left Samson, but then I assume he came back into Samson when supernatural strength was given to him when he said one last time and he pushed the pillars of the wall. And that you and I have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we may become apostates, but I don't know that the Holy Spirit leaves. I don't know of any passage that would ever say that the Holy Spirit has left that apostate. Apostate, someone who used to follow Jesus and doesn't do it anymore. And so Jesus leaves the 99 and goes after the one. I used to believe it was very hard to lose your salvation. And once you lost it, you couldn't be saved anymore. And I would reference Hebrews 4, 6 for that. It's impossible to renew them to repentance. Um, but I, I think if someone makes a genuine and real commitment to Christ, the Holy Spirit is within them, and that's the guarantee. This is not the power of the Holy Spirit that comes upon you. That's That Acts 1.8 talks about, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's to do the work that God's called you to do. That's for the gifting that God's called you to do. This is the sealing of the Holy Spirit in that person who um, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So that Holy Spirit is the guarantee that we are going to inherit eternity until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory so the way that i read that nick is that when we come to christ and we make a genuine commitment the holy spirit moves in we have the holy spirit in us and we are we are guaranteed eternity because of that uh, that's the way that i read it there are people who don't read it that way there are other calvary pastors who don't read it that way i understand that um in this sense, when I talk about provisionism, um, I believe that God provides for salvation. And when it comes to Calvinism, I'm, I'm a one-point Calvinist. I don't believe in limited atonement. I don't believe in irresistible grace. Um, I do believe in perseverance of the saints. Um, I believe in total depravity, just not the way that they completely, that they completely and totally um, teach that. All right. So thank you very much, Nick. It's good to hear from you. If you have a follow-up question and you want a little more clarity on that or you were looking in a little different direction, Nick, just go ahead and re ask another question. And if I have time here, I'll get to it, okay? So I appreciate you, Nick. Good to see you. Good to hear from you. Uh, may God bless your services uh, tomorrow morning. And uh, may God bless ours as well. All right, so let me go ahead and get back to the other screen here. And there's next question. Um, and then let me go ahead and bring in uh, the question by, let me go ahead and take this question down. Again, good to see you, Nick. And we will bring in John P's question. So John says, is a sin, is it a sin to reject medical advice or treatment? Not talking about vaccines. I mean, chemo or, um, or drastic measures. Thanks a lot, John. Now that you've said vaccines, they're gonna they're not gonna push this video out at all. I uh, I promise you, I don't care about that. But it is funny when you talk about certain subjects, how little it gets pushed out, and when you talk about more, um, it's pushed out a little bit more. I may be a conspiracy theorist with that, but I think it's true. Um, okay, is it a sin to reject medical treatment? I'm gonna say it depends. It could be, it might not be. 
So if I go to the doctor and the doctor says, hey, your, um, your cholesterol is high. You need to take this statin. And I decide, you know what? I'm going to stop eating things that are made with vegetable oil. I'm going to stop eating fried foods. I'm going to start eating good oils like olive oil or avocado oil. Um, I'm going to start bringing more healthy foods like eggs and other things into my diet. And I'm going to exercise so that I can bring down my cholesterol because I don't want to be on statins. I don't think that's a sin. I think that even if you talk to your doctor at that point, your doctor is going to go, all right, we'll, we'll go, go give it a try. Um, but if the, and, and if the doctor tells me I go in, I got an ear problem and the doctor says, quit cleaning your ears with, with Q-tips, but I continue to do it. I don't think that's a sin issue. I just think it's maybe not, not wise. Um, if the doctor told me one thing, I mean, you're paying to listen to the doctor, but it's not wise. Now let's talk a little bit about the Jehovah witnesses, John, who don't believe in any medical care, right? They don't believe in transfusions. They'll refuse medical care. So a doctor comes and says, if you don't give your child a transfusion, your child's going to die. And then you refuse that. I do think that's a sin. I do. I think, I, I think you are now denying that which can save your child based upon an Old Testament passage, which talks about life being in the blood. Uh, and, and, and that's been found out to be true, but we know that, that that's not talking about who I am, the, my personality or my soul, and we're not under the law anymore anyway. And so it's possible it could be sin. There, have been, there are those who believe by faith that they're supposed to ignore. Uh, Jari was talking about this earlier, that some in the charismatic movement go, well, the doctor told me this, but by faith, I'm going to believe and trust in it. And maybe God will heal them. And maybe he won't. I don't know if it's a sin to ignore it if you're the one who's going to live with those consequences. All right. So like anything else, John, there's nuance. And nuance is really important. There are some people that can't, that, that can't talk about nuance at all when they talk about scripture. Everything to them is the extreme. Everything is black and white. And it's not nuanced at all. And I think that this question takes some nuance. And before I could give a yes or a no to something being sin, I would have to know a little bit more about it. You certainly don't want to take a broad statement like this and say, not following your doctor's medical advice is always sin. All right. So thank you, John. I appreciate it. Hope you have a great day. We have another question from Just Saying. Good to see you, Just Saying. I know you. I know you're Just Saying. Let's read what you're saying. What do you say to anyone when they say they don't know if God exists? I asked drive-through worker at fast food. Um, if she believed, she said, unknown stepdad came up with lots not to. Okay. Um, let's see. Am I just missing out? Yeah. Just saying, sorry. Um, I don't know if I've got enough here. What do I say to someone who says that God doesn't exist? I'm going to take just a quick moment and look for, yeah. Um, uh, all right. So says that sent the question without um, 
pressing it with that. Yeah, okay, so it just kind of sent it. All right, okay. Uh, so I see some of your st other things from just saying. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and answer this uh, first part of the question. I don't understand the second part. What do you say to someone uh, when they say that they don't believe that God exists? I, again, there's a lot of different aspects in the ways that that would take place. If you're talking to a fast food worker, you talk to them about God and said they didn't believe um, that God exists. Um, I would probably just come down to the, to some of the main arguments. Um, I can't remember who it was that came up with uh, the argument where you ask someone who doesn't believe that God exists, what is zero plus zero? And they say, uh, it's zero. And you say, well, nothing can't come from nothing. So something had to create someone. Uh, they believe in that, that substance has been around forever, that material has been around forever. Um, that it is eternal and that it came from nothing. When, if you have time to sit down and talk to them, you can begin to talk to them about the complexity of God and the complexity of our world, the complexity that, that even evolutionists are saying there hasn't been enough time for humans to evolve. We just don't have enough time. It would have taken longer. Uh, the, the cells are too complicated. And for the amount of time that, that Homo sapiens have been around, there's not enough time for us to evolve and there hasn't been enough changes. Now, if you're talking to someone who doesn't believe, they're going to go, well, I believe it was something else. Maybe we were seeded by aliens. They're going to give you ad hoc arguments, which are arguments off the top of their head. They're really not interested in knowing. If I'm, if I'm going to sit down and talk to someone that really wants to know, I don't know. I don't think God exists. Why do you think he exists? Then you can have a much more productive conversation. But most people that want to erase God, that want to say God doesn't exist, are not interested in hearing why you think that they should exist. They're, they're not going to give your responses the proper credence that your responses should have. And I think that's an important point to understand. All right. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the rest of your question is, Jari. I'll look for it a little bit later on. Maybe we can bring it back in. Uh, I'm just looking for everybody's question um, in case um, we can find, um, in case I just, I did not answer your question um, as you were hoping that your question would truly be answered. Um, but it is good to see you guys. And I do believe that we could take a look at just the human body and and believe that God exists because of that. All right. And um we'll um I'll I'll take some time to to look up a few things and we'll talk a little bit more about what's the best way to respond to someone who says that they don't believe. All right. So this is from Dan. Dan, good to see you. Hope things are going well. Um Dan says, what is God, what does God say about depression and feeling useless in life? What guidance does God give us other than the Ten Commandments? I know there are many passages out there, but is there a specific area in the Bible that helps us to live instead of bouncing around? Um, yeah, Dan. So I do believe that God has, when someone surrenders themselves to him, 
that God has a purpose and a plan for your life and that God is fills you with the spirit and will use you. And what God has called you to is not insignificant. Remember, we're not supposed to, no one are supposed is supposed to do the, mo the most useful person in the world is you're talking about being feeling useless. You just take the most useful person in the world. They can do anything. They're just, they're useful on anything. They're useful for the kingdom of God. They're useful for everything. They're not supposed to do anything out of selfish ambition either. No one is supposed to. We're all supposed to trust in God and walk with him, know him and interact with him. And that's the great joy. When Paul was in prison, we're studying Philippians on, on um, Wednesday nights now. Paul's in prison, but in that joy, the letter just, just, it leaks out everywhere. There's joy everywhere in that letter, but yet he's in prison. He could say, he can't go out and plant churches. He can't go do the, he can't go visit the people he wants to visit. He can feel completely useless, but God's going to use him. He begins to write letters to send them out. And, and, and some of those letters, those prison epistles we're reading today. So God can find areas to make you useful, Dan. And God's got ways. You just need to surrender to him and know that God's got it in his hand. And it's not about, it's about living for him every day. It's about looking around you, seeing who you might be able to help and living wholeheartedly for him. Now, what does, what, what part of the Bible should you go to to help feelings of depression? I think the Psalms is a great place to be. Because there are so many Psalms. See, so what, what you're feeling, if this is you, Dan, I assume you're just feeling a little depressed and like God's not using you. And, and if so, understand the psalmist felt the same way. They, we, their souls were downcast. They, they felt useless. They felt like there was nowhere they could go. There was nothing that they could do. But they called out to God and God met them there. And so I would say to go to the Psalms. Also, um, Elijah was, was depressed. David was depressed. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah had problems, but he was depressed. So for us to think that we are never going to be depressed, and if I'm depressed, I'm not, not living the life that God's given me. There are seasons. We're living in an unperfect world. And yes, the Lord's told us certain things that his joy would be in us and that our joy would be full. And we want to live those things. Part of it is just learning more of what the Bible has to say so that you can know what to do when you feel a certain way. But remember, feelings are not true. Truth. They're feelings. I'm not discounting them because you feel them. And that's why I think that God's open when you are distraught and down and depressed to going to him and calling out to him. I believe that God's open because we feel that way and it's very real to us, right? And so um, I believe that that's the case. Um, what guidance does God give us other than the Ten Commandments? Um, a lot, Dan. He gives us the epistles, uh, examples of the church in the letter of Acts, the gospels, and all the instruction from Jesus, all of the Old Testament messages, messages that point towards forward towards Jesus. There's so much richness in the word of God. And when you begin to study it, then you find that richness.
All right. Last Saturday, we talked about humility, that when we walk in humility, um, God exalts us. And then we exalt ourselves. God humbles us. There's so many just strong, good principles that are out there that really give us understanding about what God meant with the Ten Commandments. And um, we know that love is also the fulfillment of all of the commandments of God, not just the Ten Commandments, but all 620 whatever uh, commandments that there are in the law. There's a lot of them, but we fulfill them all by walking in love. So learning to love others like Jesus loves you, that's the new commandment that Jesus gave us. This is the covenant that we are to live under the covenant of the cup of the blood of Jesus Christ, that we would really and truly walk with one another and love one another. All right. Thank you, Dan. I hope that's helpful. And I, if you are feeling depressed and down, I hope that God really encourages you and strengthens you. And I realize, you know, when you, when you preach to the brokenhearted, you never lack for an audience. And when you talk about people being distraught and depressed and down, there are always people that are in that position, Dan. Um, so, you know, the Bible talks about us comforting other people with the comfort by which we ourselves have been comforted with. So, um, so uh, I hope that you're feeling well. Uh, I hope that you're feeling better, Dan. And I hope that the Lord really meets you where you are and that he does indeed uplift your soul. And um, I would take that time that you're feeling now and go and seek God. Strong feelings allow us to be able to go to God, maybe fast and seek him. And I believe that God will meet you where you are. All right. So we have a question here from Brian. Brian says, how close are we to the second coming of Jesus Christ? So Jesus in Matthew 24 says, when they ask, what's, when, is, when are you going to return and what's the sign of your coming back? He says, be careful that no one deceives you. So one of the greatest signs that we have of the second coming, Jesus's return, is great deception. And we live in that day to day. There are so many people that are not following, they're not teaching the Bible. They're not teaching people how they're supposed to live. They're not focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they have huge followings and they're deceiving many. And they are, they are not themselves genuine believers, nor do they make people genuine believers. And these are doctrines of demons that the Bible talked about for the last days. And then Jesus said, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, ragings of the seas, famines, um, earthquakes. Um, but said, don't let any of these things trouble you because they must be. They've been going on forever. But then he said, these things are birth pains. So they get more and more intense. Then he said something when you see all of these things happening, know that the end is near. And um, I wish I had, because I'm just quoting it. I wish I, let me just say, take a moment and see if I can pull up the right passage here in Matthew 24, where he says that, so that I can show you this. Because I think it's very powerful and maybe a really overlooked passage Um that when you see all of these things um, that look, I think he says, look up for your redemption 
draws nigh. Um, well, yeah, I can't seem to find it right now. Um, but I believe that all of these things together, which are happening more and more, uh, I have a um, I have an earthquake app on my phone because I want to keep track of, of earthquakes because there's this um, there's this information that's out there that that earthquakes haven't increased. It's just our detection of earthquakes that have increased. But when you start looking at their data, you see that since the year 2000, there have been a lot more earthquakes. It's like as if these things are stepping up, like the birth pains are, are stepping up. Today alone, there's been seven earthquakes over, let me just go ahead and bring you up on the screen for this. I'll show you this. Um, let's see, yeah, I can do this. There we go. So today alone, there's been seven earthquakes over five. Um, and yesterday, we see there was a 5.7 in the southern mid-Atlantic ridge. We see there was a 6.1 um, and a 6.6. Uh, these are those are huge on the Richter sale. There's a 5.9. All of these are on the same day, right? Yeah. So this this is yesterday. Uh, there's a 6.5 near the coast of Nicaragua, um, and so on and so forth. So. These things are all signs of the return of Jesus. Let me get my Bible back. Sorry to make you guys, woo! I'm going to go back to the original screen here. These things are all signs of the, of, of the end. Now, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. But we're the first generation since Israel was destroyed in 70 A.D., that have Israel as a nation again in the land. We're the first generation that's had the land restored and the people back in the land. And God says in, in Exodus, excuse me, in Ezekiel, uh, to the land of the mountains of Israel, get ready for my people are about to come. We also see this coalition of nations that's out there, which is the same as the coalitions you find in Ezekiel. And they're all, they all hate Israel. And in history, Russia and Persia have not all acted together all the time, but they're they're on the same side today. And the Bible talks about them being in that coalition. Uh, Jerusalem, Jesus said, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And I believe that the rapture is going to happen after the time of the Gentiles. Israel is in control of Jerusalem for the first time since 70 AD. It happened in 67. And they're getting more and more control of Jerusalem. I don't necessarily agree with their tactics of how they are gaining more and more of East Jerusalem from the Palestinians. Remember, just because we believe that Israel is God's chosen people, we don't believe that everything they do is right. We don't believe that everything they do as a nation is right. But we do believe that it's God's sign to us, and Jerusalem particularly. And it, it's going to become a couple trembling for the entire world. And all of these things tell me that we are living in the last days. Um, so how close are we? I think very close. I think that this is the generation that's going to see it. W what does that mean? I don't know for sure. If 67 is the marking point when, when it was the beginning of um, the fulfillment of, of Jerusalem being trampled underfoot, and a generation is not going to see it, you'd have to go 120 years from 67, which would bring us to 2087. That's a long ways. So you can calculate all you want. 
Um, but I believe it's going to happen soon. And I think the earth the world is escalating towards a one world government. So I really do believe that we're living, the, as, as the Bible talks about all of these things, we're living in the last days. Our, our conference this year, our Calvary Chapel Southwest Pastors and Leaders Conference uh, is going to be uh, on prophecy this year. It's Prophecy uh, 2022. It's in March. And we'll be talking about a lot more things about the return of Jesus and the world that we're living in. Uh, so thank you very much, Brian. Uh, and welcome. If you're new here, we want to welcome you. Hope you guys are blessed by the time we spend looking at questions through the lens of Scripture. And um, hey, consider subscribing. Um, a, a, only a small amount of the people that interact with us regularly are subscribed and, and have rung the bell. And YouTube uses that as a metrics to push out our content more. And so help us get our content out by clicking on um, that that bell, the and you know, and and subscribe and click the bell, and that will be helpful to us on getting as much of our content out as we possibly can. All right, so I have a follow-up here from Jari. All right, Jari. Jari says, follow-up. Yes, Robert, those in the charismatic circles claim God told them to do something crazy, but it was their own belief. Yes, you answered it. All right. Thank you very much, Jari. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, you look, God may very well tell me to do something. And I, by faith, can reach out and do it. The only difference is, is that it's 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 pride if I'm saying, I know it's God. I believe it's God. And, and if I believe it's God, then I better do the things that I believe that God's telling me to do. Um, I'm not talking about if he's telling me to, well, I don't know. A bunch of examples come to mind uh, that I won't bring up. But thank you, Jari, for, um, for bringing up um, that question again, I appreciate it and I appreciate you. I hope you have a great day. We have a question here from All Pink. All Pink, good to see you. Uh, in Luke uh, 16, 18, God said, if you remarry, you commit adultery. Does this mean that uh, the married couple are going to hell because they are in sin? Um, no, not, not everyone. And so Jesus said, if because they were divorcing just by, they, they, they had made divorce way too easy in the days of the Bible. It's probably way too easy today as well, but it's way too easy. And someone could just dismiss their wives and they were justifying doing it and they were mistreating their wives because of it. And so Jesus taking the defense of the women who are being dismissed says, if you divorce your wife and marry another, then you have committed adultery unless it's for sexual immorality. So Jesus gives us the one area that he gave us that there is a legitimate place for divorce and that is sexual immorality. And so if someone doesn't have sexual immorality and they divorce and they marry another, then they've committed adultery. Do Christians do this? Yes, unfortunately. Do Christians repent from it? Yes, fortunately. So what do you do if you got out of the marriage, there was no sexual sin, you got out of a marriage, you ended up meeting someone else, marrying them, and now you're convicted. You would repent. You'd call out to God. 
You say, well, do I have to divorce that person and marry the other person? There's a lot that we would need to talk about there. We, we, need, we need to talk about de details on divorce and remarriage in the Christian, which I, I'm not going to go into completely and totally now. I'm just going to say that God's a God of compassion, all pink, and that there are all kinds of sin that people have committed and that God has forgiven and that they're going to go to heaven. And I know a lot of people that have had bad foundations for their marriage and God is blessing their marriage. Think about David with Bathsheba. And then God blesses that marriage by having the next king of Israel come from Bathsheba. I don't know if I would do that if I were God. I would say, I think I would say, you know, David had 14 wives or so. We don't know exactly how many, 14 or so. Um, and <clears throat> I would think I'll, I'll choose another wife to bring a son through because people could get the wrong idea that I might be able to bless a marriage that has a bad foundation. But that's the exact idea that God wanted to bring up, right? That's the exact idea that God wanted to talk about that God can bless even a bad foundation. And so you say, well, what do I do if I find myself married now, but I've got divorce and it wasn't, it wasn't the right thing to do. Serve God now. Don't divorce the wife that you have now. Serve God now. And um, so, yeah, obviously it's really, and it's really bad, right? It's really bad because what God cares most about all pink is, is the way we treat people. God cares about the way we treat our spouses or our, yeah, our husbands, or our wives. And so many people mistreat them so badly that it causes all kinds of difficulties and problems. All right. So thank you very much, All Pink, for that. Um, I don't know all the details. I'm always scared when I'm talking about, you know, a random question about something like marriage and divorce. There's so much to it. It could really end up having um, having all kinds of problems. So I'm going to bring in one more question here. All right. Thank you. Uh, this is from Karina. Uh, Karina says, have you considered doing a series on spiritual warfare? Most Christians aren't aware of this and how important it is in Christians to be equipped to fight against the enemy and his tactics. Uh, thank you very much. I think it's Karina, right? Uh, thank you very much for your question. This will be our last question for today. Go ahead and continue to write out your questions. I'll look at them for future Q&As. All right, that's the first place that I'm going to look for the very next Q&As um, are going to be in this. Uh, so I thank you for your question. And um, yeah, so what we what we do at Calvary Chapel and um, Calvary Tucson particularly is go through books of the Bible. Um, we are currently on Sunday morning in Luke chapter 14, and we are in um, Philippians chapter one. We're doing an in-depth study on that. So what I would do is when I come to like a place like Caesarea Philippi in Luke, I think it's in Luke that he talks about it, where he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. I'll talk about spiritual warfare there. I'll talk about, I could do a series on it in Ephesians when we get to the spiritual warfare passage that is there. I think there's a lot that's said on it and I do need to I do need to talk about it because there's a lot of misunderstandings. Satan's a creep. 
He's a deceiver. He doesn't want you understanding exactly what spiritual warfare is. And that's why we have to come back to the Bible and do those things that are biblical. All right. So thank you very much. Um, I guess we got a little bit of time. Um, I didn't realize that. So let me go ahead and answer this question a little bit more. Um, I thought we were right at four o'clock. We're not. We're a few minutes before it. So yeah, there's a lot in spiritual warfare that people say that are, that's wrong. They say Christians can't be demon possessed, but then they'll start talking in possession language, which tells me they're talking about possession. They're talking about someone being demon possessed and we've been given authority and the evil one can't touch us. There's so many good passages about spiritual warfare and that unless we cooperate with the enemy, the enemy is not going to be able to take us out. So the Bible says, don't give place to the enemy, the weapons of our warfare and mighty of God for the pulling down of strongholds. So there's so many good things there. So yeah, I would consider doing a series, but I'm, I'm looking for a place to be able to do that as we study God's word in its entirety. We've been doing this at Calvary Tucson for 36 years now. We've gone through the whole Bible several different times. Um, but we will be doing the book of Ephesians again at some point here. And um, that's a good opportunity to do it. I think as well, there's going to be another one later on in, um, in Luke. And I'll look for an opportunity for at least a couple of services, maybe even a series to talk about spiritual warfare, the dangers that are out there and what real spiritual warfare looks like. Karina, thank you very much uh, for your question. I really appreciate that as I do um, as I do all of you guys joining us. And if you are new here, um, consider liking, subscribing, and, um, and ringing the bell, uh, and uh, sharing if you're on Facebook. All of those things help us, all right? So um, we have a question here from Wayne Rockin' Red Dillinger. Good to see you, Wayne. Uh, good to have you here with us. Uh, Wayne's joining us from Facebook. He says, question, in the New Testament, Jesus brought Tabitha and Lazarus back from the dead, okay? Do you know of any other of these or anyone else that was brought back that they reported what they saw and experienced while they were dead? Kind of like the song Lazarus by Carmen. Um, it's very popular today for people to say they die and they come back and write a book on what heaven's like, which I'm always very skeptical about. Wayne, Rock and Red Dillinger. Um, so Jesus rose three people from the dead. Lazarus, um, a young man in his funeral procession, and the little girl that had died. And then Paul, was it Paul? Yeah, Paul. Maybe it was in the book of Acts you have Tabitha or Dorcas raised from the dead. We'll go with Tabitha instead of Dorcas, by the way, but raised her from the dead. But no, um, I don't know any reports of anyone in the Bible. Um, oh, well, except for Paul, right? So you've got Paul in the area of Lystra and Derby, and they think that he's one of the gods because they healed someone, him and Silas. And, um, and, and when Paul says, don't do that, I'm not one of the gods, they end up taking him and dragging him outside the city, stoning him and leaving him for dead. And then later on, Paul writes, there was a man in the spirit, out of the spirit, I do not know, but he went up into the third heavens. He's probably talking about himself and he saw things that are illegal for me to tell you. So if there's anybody that could have wrote to us, 
what heaven or eternity is really like. Some believe that Paul died and was brought back by God when he was stoned in Lystra, which is a pretty traumatic event, by the way. People die from being stoned and Paul was stoned and they thought he was dead. They left him for dead and um, God either healed him, brought him back to life, or he wasn't really dead, but was close enough to where he went up into heaven and there, there's no way that you could begin to even describe heaven. Like people today who say, well, I'm just going to get bored with heaven. Like the, I, the, the, the series, what is it? The, the good place where people live for eternity until they just can't take it anymore. And then they just go off somewhere and are, are, are evaporated are annihilated. Um, you just don't have a answer, a, a, a good idea of what heaven's going to be like. It's fullness of joy. And it's not just sitting around in a, in a worship service. I believe there will be worship that'll be going on all the time, but you hear worship leaders will say, this is what we're going to do in heaven forever. And there are people listening going, uh, and I hope it's a good worship leader, by the way, that says that, but people really having problems with it. Um, heaven is just so beyond anything that we can really even begin to share. And, um, so, you know, no one has come back and I, I, I don't ever read these books where people say that they went to heaven. I don't ever watch the movies when people say that they went to heaven and what they saw in heaven. Um, I'm just not interested in that because I think it would be illegal for them to really share what they really saw, just like Paul says there. All right, Wayne, I appreciate you and I hope you have a great day. Um, we have, let me just go ahead and look for another question here. Uh, so, um, yeah, there are a lot. Let me just see if there's, uh, we're, we're, we're doing one question. Um, so I'm kind of looking at these questions that are here that are second questions and kind of skipping over them looking for another question. I, I might go back to those. Um, we've got just a couple of minutes here. So let me just see if, um, okay, here's a question from uh, JG. Um, so, and I'll look back to those questions that um, you asked Jari, you asked a second question, and so did um, uh, someone else asked a second question as well. Um, we, we, we take one question until we get to the end of the comment section and there's none, and we go back and catch some of the other questions that are there. Um, but I do use them for future Q&As. So this is from JG, and JG says, Pastor Robert, have you ever heard about Christians being um, convertly persecuted by groups of demonized people? I feel like this has happened to me for many years. Uh, uh, first of all, JG, I'm sorry that you're feeling really persecuted. However, uh, the Bible says that you are to consider it all, that you're to consider it joy when they persecute you for the sake of Jesus. So even if they were demonically inspired people who are persecuting you, then you are supposed to count it as a joy, as a privilege that you are sharing in Christ's sufferings because they made fun of him as well. Um, I've never heard of it, no. Uh, unless, I mean, there, there are a lot of demonically inspired things that go on out there. So I don't know that I've ever heard it put in this exact question. Do I believe that Satan... And, and people that he controls are involved in persecuting Christians, certain Christians. Yeah, I believe that. I do. And um, so 
I, I think that you could be facing something that is like that. Yeah. Um, but I would not be, I would not be cast down about it. I would not be downhearted. I would not be, um, yeah, downhearted about it. Um, I would rejoice that you have an opportunity to be able to let people know that you have that real and genuine commitment with Christ. All right. So, um, I, um, and God's not going to give you more than you can bear. So this is not going to turn into a temptation because God's going to give you a way out. And, um, it might be the strength to be able to go through it and to, to, to suffer those persecutions. There are a lot of people who never have the privilege of being persecuted for the sake of Christ. And you have that JG. All right. Um, and I'm not encouraging you in that to wallow around and some kind of like, Oh, I'm so persecuted. But just to know, you know what? I'm being persecuted for Jesus' sake, and I am going to rejoice over that. All right, so that's our Q&A for today. Really good to see you guys and to spend time uh, looking at questions through the lens of Scripture. Again, our desire is to know what God's Word says and what we believe because of that. So I appreciate you guys. Love you guys. I hope you guys are greatly blessed. I'm going to go ahead and sign out now. And we have a service in a couple of hours. Um, we're going to be talking about our responsibility to the poor and needy. We're going to be talking about as Christians, what should we be doing in helping those who are poor? What, what the Bible says about giving to the poor and how often does it say it? A little clue. There's a lot of passages about giving to the poor. And, and I believe it's a lack that we have in the church today. And so I'm really looking forward to covering that tonight. So our responsibility to the poor and needy, you can join us in two hours online, or you can come live to our um, West Campus, East Campus at six o'clock. And then tomorrow morning, we'll have all three of our services at both campuses. And they will be the same, uh, the same message, but different. They, they all seem to be slightly different, but the same message. All right. So God bless you guys. I'm signing out. It's good to see you. Have a great day. Stay close to Jesus love him, um, delight yourself in the Lord, abide in Christ and let his word abide in you and you will have the desires you ask for. God bless you guys.